Hi, I'm Lori Denning, and this is my podcast, The 20-Minute Scriptorian, where I explore LDS scripture and doctrine for the Come Follow Me curriculum for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Like most of you, I'm a typical Latter-day Saint, and I've held a variety of callings, from gospel doctrine teacher to institute. I've always loved learning and sharing the scriptures of Christ. Recently, I went back to school, and I'm currently a theology student where I get to learn context, history, ancient languages, and more importantly, how to learn. I thought you might want to share in what I was learning, and the 20-minute scriptorian was born. While I am a believer, these thoughts are my own, and they are not an official representation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Thanks for listening, and join me on the journey as we explore the scriptures and the path of the disciple of Christ. Hey everybody, welcome back to the 20-Minute Scriptorian. We are on 1st Nephi chapter 1, part 4. So again, I am been so excited to talk about the Book of Mormon that we are hitting four episodes this session or this week. Thanks for joining me. Again, there's been a big uptick in listeners and subscribers, and that just means the world to me. Uh, I have felt really inspired to share what I'm learning and what I love about the scriptures, and so it makes it very worthwhile. So thank you. And as a favor, please, if you would do one thing for me, is share it. Share the podcast so that we can help to share the gospel with everyone. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, where we left off, we've done kind of a four-part session. First, we did kind of the history, and I really took you back through Lehi and through Josiah, what was happening uh, coming into the destruction of Jerusalem in, in that period, about 597 B.C. And then the second one, we did Lehi's visions, and there's just so much there. We could spend a year on just those few verses. And then last time, we did a little bit on how to read narrative and, and how to look at that. And I wanted to, it's kind of some themes that Nephi has from First Nephi. Today, what I wanted to do is now take a step back and do the first five chapters. So join me as we jump in and say, what was Nephi trying to teach us and communicate to us in the first five chapters? So, let me start out with a little bit of a story. When I was growing up, I loved books. I loved reading, and I especially loved, uh, it, you know, fantasy and science fiction. And and so I would see myself in those stories. And as I got a little bit older and started to get more into other literature, including the scriptures, I realized that I would see myself in these stories. And so some of my favorite stories might be something like Alma and Almulek on their missions and say, one day, you know, I'm going to serve a mission and I'm going to be like Alma and Alma 17. And he comes back and he meets his old companions and he's so excited. And I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's going to be me someday. And then I got, you know, older and I remember really connecting with the story of Jacob and Esau. And, you know, Jacob kind of does Esau a wrong stealing that birthright. And he feels like, oh, I'm going to, he's going to, kill me and so they're older and he goes out and he's so fearful about what's going to happen and then he has this great reconciliation and and I just remember thinking uh, and it, in the past of some somebody that I had wronged and just thought oh man they're gonna just beat me up or whatever um, or be really mad and and just I would see myself in Jacob well even Jacob could reconcile to someone he had wronged 
And so as I looked at the stories, obviously men or women, I would look at them and see myself in the story. And I think that's super important. And so as we read stories or narrative, I think it's really important. One thing I want to also uh, share is that I, when I was taking one of my biblical Hebrew classes, uh, one of my professors stopped. He was showing us how to do kind of a word study and look up the different word and the meaning in Hebrew. And so we were just Hebrew, Hebrew, Hebrew. And he stopped and he said, you know, I, when I teach, I don't usually use Hebrew. And that, and that rocked me. Like this guy is a Hebrew scholar. I mean, he's a PhD in biblical Hebrew teaching Hebrew. And he's saying when he teaches the gospel, he doesn't really use Hebrew. And he went on to say, because he, he thinks uh, the scriptures are for everyone, he says. And if we make it so it's so com complicated or you start to say, I'm never going to understand Hebrew or who's going to study that, then it kind of takes the punch out of it. And so I think those two points come together with this. There's no wrong way to study the scriptures. If you like to write a song, uh, paint a painting, um, do a podcast, if you want to study Hebrew, if you want to write a paper, if you want to just read the stories and do a puppet show, there's no wrong way. So whatever way is speaking to you, the scriptures are for everyone. And part of that that I think is so powerful is why stories are so great. Stories impact us, like me and the story of Jacob or in the story of Alma and Almulek as missionary companions or whatever. When we see ourselves in the stories, when we connect with them, that is when they start to have some power. And so today, what I wanted to do is show a couple of ways that I like to uh, look at these scriptures, these narratives, and see ourselves in the story. And so what I did was I made some show notes, which I don't do very often, um, but I, I wrote them up, and I'll put them in the, the show notes. But yesterday, during my lunch break, I read through chapters one through five, and I just did this exercise. So I'm going to do it a little bit with you. It's a little bit a shorter version since I took a good hour or so to do it. But this isn't like ready for publication, so just so you see how it's not really that hard to do. But you might see some more connection. And I certainly have taken this bigger view like we talked about last time. All right, so here's the steps. The first thing I think is when we look at who or what type of scripture this is. Now, there are lots of different scripture types. You've probably heard me talk about genre. It's just a big fancy French word for type. And there are a lot of even combinations of them and different scholars will get in fights, but generally you kind of know the difference, right? So narrative, stories, and, and I'd say it's somewhere around 50% or more of scripture is narrative. So super common, right? This is one of the most common ways. The next most common way is poetry. So even within those narratives, you're going to see poetry. So even when Lehi stops and tells about his dream, he's got a little poem in there. And when you get to Psalms or Isaiah or uh, just almost everywhere, um, there are these poetic sections. And if you look at a different translation or sometimes just the way they format the text, you'll see it formatted a little bit like poetry like we do in um, in most English-speaking countries, right? We indent it, and we kind of show it has a verse. So it's a little bit easier to see. So is it poetry? There will be poetry in the Book of Mormon, but a lot less. It's mostly narrative. It could be a letter. It could be a psalm. It could be a sermon. It could be a speech. 
you know, right? We see King Benjamin's speech, the uh, the Savior's speech, um, the letter that uh, Pahoran and King or uh, uh, Moroni, Captain Moroni, write back and forth. Right? You see these letters or the epistles. Um, you can get uh, a history. Right? It can be just really historical, like. Um, we don't get as many here. We know the large plates are a little bit more history, but they're just trying to tell you kind of what happened. It could be a gospel. It could be apocrypha. So anyway, there are a lot of them, but you kind of get the general idea. So the first thing I think is I would say, well, what, what type is this? So before you just jump into a verse, take a step back and say, what is it? And say, is this poetry? Is this narrative? Because they're different and the, and the writer's using them for a different reason. So let's talk about narrative. Why do people use narratives? Why do they use narratives? I, one of the reasons, I think, is because, <clears throat> you know, these, these events that happen in our lives, our, our brains are just wired to put these, uh, these events in something that makes sense. And so as we look at these stories, as we put them in an order that makes sense, we start to see purpose and meaning. Additionally, we see ourselves in them, right? We say, hey, I'm like that person, or I wish I was like that person, or I wonder what I can learn from that person. And so we see good guys and bad guys and good gals and bad gals, and we see people struggling with real life. And, and so it, it teaches us something. Additionally, as we go back to those narratives, we can see things over and over and over and over again. It's not very often that you go to say, the Ten Commandments, and say, man, I'm, I'm just going to really dig into the Ten Commandments and really think about those, you know, thou shalt not. Hmm. It's, it's just a statement. It's, a, it's law. It's not, it's harder to see other things in them, right? Poetry is on the other end of that spectrum. You might say, wow, it takes me a lot more to dig into it, but there's a lot more emotion. It's trying to communicate more complex ideas, and, and so poetry might be that way. But, um, narrative so we love it right we make sense of them we love stories and they're fun we, we just love them that's why we watch tv and movies and read books and and uh you know whatever we love stories so so i i think there's a reason that we get the gospel in a story so the first thing i like to do is look at the plot and so so if you say what type is it and then the second one, you say, well, if it's narrative, let's going to look at the plot. And that's just the storyline. So y what, what I like to do is just kind of outline what happened. And so on my document here, you'll see I do it. But I basically just read through it. And as I read through it, I just literally took a pen and a piece of paper. I folded in half and just wrote, this happened and then this happened, <laughs> this happened. And so I just wrote these little smaller stories, these smaller events. I mean, not verse by verse, um, but it, it, I didn't, I didn't worry about it. Right. So I kind of write what happened. So I just sat down and said, well, um, uh, first, you know, the first one's kind of a prologue. Chapter one seems like a prologue. And then you jump right in and you say Nephi or Lehi gets the vision. He takes his family out. They almost flee. So I wrote Lehi flees that you know then they murmur then he gets the commandment you have to go back and get the breastplates they're like what are you talking about they go back um they beat up nephi um nephi well f i'm sorry i forget nephi's like um prays about it feels like yeah i should go and goes and says hey i feel like i should follow the lord oh by the way you got to go back and get the breastplates and then these little vignettes right story 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 and then you get to the big critical conflict and and so try to think the main plot. And the main plot, I think, is just getting the plates and then the main conflict. Was it leaving Jerusalem? Was it Lehi at risk getting killed? Was it living in a tent? Ah, it seems to be getting the plates and killing Laban. That seems to be in that first five chapters. That seems to be the, the big conflict, right? There's some small conflicts, the brothers, 
Lehi, what's Nephi going to do? But Nephi tells us, boy, I have lived through a lot of afflictions, but you're going to see the mercy the Lord gives to us. And, and then you're like, and here we go through the story. So he's going to show us that the big conflict is he has to kill a man. I mean, this got to be the most critical thing. And one of the most critical things in his life is, is this event that he had to do as a young man and, and his faith, right? He's kind of, he's young, he's new to the faith. And so it's going to be something really challenging. So as we read that story, there's no wonder this is probably the main conflict in that story. So think about that. What was that conflict? Um, and then just kind of think about that. Okay. So that's the plot. What happened? The second thing is just characters, right? Who's, who are the main characters in the story? This is great. You can do this with your family. Like, who's even in the story? And if you watch the videos, it's even easier. That guy, that guy, that girl. So I just wrote some down. The Lord. Nephi. Lehi. Laman and Lemuel. Sam. Sarai. Laban. Zoram. That's kind of it. I mean, there's like, ah, the elders are referred to and things, but those are kind of it. So think of that. Let's, let me take a little aside and tell you a little about characters in the scriptures, something that um, you've probably noticed but, but hadn't really thought about. So scriptures don't often tell you a lot of things that we do in modern characters. For example, we don't really hear uh, their whole backstory. We don't often hear what they look like. We don't know what they look like. Um, they, we don't tell their, uh, often their inner feelings and thoughts. So it's like you're watching a movie, but you don't get to really see what they're thinking. Sometimes you do. But a lot of times, you don't. And so, let me t- when those things happen, when they tell you what a character looked like, for example, when you do hear it, make a note. It's super important, right? Ancient writers, they told you that because it was going to be important to something about them. For example, in 1 Nephi 4, it tells us that Nephi was large and powerful. It also says then later he, he like, loves wood uh, metalworking. He's like, wood, yeah, I made, a, I made a bow. But then he goes in depth on about the precious metals. Um, and I wrote down some 1 Nephi 17, 16, 1 Nephi 18, 1 through 4, 2 Nephi 5, 15 through 16. I mean, he's super into metals. So what does that tell you about him? Well, if they told us he was young, remember, he's like 15 or something. We don't know, but he's pretty young. And he overpowers Zoram. Um, at the at this end of this brass place story, and he's a full grown man, and he like overpowers them. Um, so something about him. Also, his brothers had to tie him up, and they beat him with sticks. I mean, not beating him, not slapping him around like a teenager. He's a big guy, and and so they're telling us about that. It could be that he was powerful, not only in the Lord, not only with his faith but in real life. And it's an important part of the story. You're like, it tells us that because you're like, how, how is this kid tackling in this guy? Why are they tying him up all the time? It's like, because he's a big guy. Anyway, uh, additionally, you might hear some other stories um, that they describe what they were like. John the Baptist, it says he dressed like a wild man. He wore this leather, leather, um, leather girdle, like leather shorts and a hair shirt. And his hair was crazy. Well, that is just like Nazarites. Those, that's like Elijah. One of the most, I mean, if you wanted to paint a picture, what does a prophet look like? What's a prophet uniform? He just described Elijah's prophet uniform. So when they describe that for John the Baptist, it's not just like he's wearing a hair shirt that you're like, oh, camel hair shirt, I don't know what that means. They're describing the uniform that's going to tie us back to Elijah. This is going to be someone who's going to call us back to the Lord at a time when the people had apostatized. Uh, also King David, it says he wasn't a big guy, but Saul was really tall when they first found Saul, he was hiding in the baggage and he was a foot taller. He was like towering over everybody. 
Goliath as a giant. So it says, you know, David gains his power over Saul and Goliath from God, right? Not just because he was a big guy. Get it? See how they're describing these things now? Also, when you talk about their characters, something to think about are names uh, and, and genealogies uh, to some extent. So scripture writers tell us about characters through their names. So you've probably noticed that these names, a lot of times they have meaning. If, if it doesn't explicitly say, look it up because it usually means something and it usually means either what they could do, something about their life um, or something that they should have done, right? They should have been faithful um, or they were very faithful. Um, so, uh, so it could be true, it could be really ironic, but they're going to tell you something about it. So we just mentioned Elijah. Elijah means Jehovah is my God. Now remember, Elijah lived in a time when there was a lot of apostasy. So they're saying, Jehovah's God, like he is the prophet that that's his main message, right? Um, and so he taught Israel to return back to the Lord. Nephi, uh, it might mean great good or goodness. And yes, I mean, if there was anybody that was good, it's Nephi, right? He is the epitome of the good guy in this story. But if you read carefully, he's younger. Um, he has to flee his brothers in their story. He's the bad guy. So it tells us right out the back, this is the good guy. Interesting, right? Uh, Sarai, um, whether it's Sarah or Sarai, it means princess. And so uh, Lehi's family, right? She becomes kind of the queen of the new promised land. She's the new Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, right? Um, Lehi, the name is, is a Hebrew name, Lehi. It's actually Lehi, and it means jawbone. So it's there is an ancient name Lehi, but maybe it's because he is someone who's speaking to the people. Um, maybe not, right? Um, so there, there's name, their names there. So if they tell you the names, especially in Hebrew, they typically mean something about the person. Uh, Esau means red and hairy. He was very beastly, right? He was out hunting and didn't want to study. And Jacob is uh, a usurper. And, uh, and he did, right? He took the birthright, uh, right or wrong. He, Esau was the firstborn. And so it's going to tell us something about him. So think about the people, watch what they're telling. But when they tell you their description, what they look like, it's rare. When they tell you their names, it's going to tell us something. Um, even their place in the family, Nephi's the fourth. He's the youngest. Well, that might not mean anything to us, but that certainly means something to a lot of families. You're like, wait, wouldn't it have been the older kids that, anyway, see where I'm getting with that? All right, another one is setting. So setting is really important, um, and that means where it took place, right? Does it take place in a garden, like the creation in the Garden of Eden? Is it taking place in a building? Is it taking place in a city? So we're going to see this with Lehi's dream. It's taking place, there's a building, but it's also a tree. It's outside, and it's going to tell us something about that. Um, for example, if it's in a city, anciently, a lot of times you'll see this theme that cities are full of bad influences, right? So Abraham and Lot, like, oh, don't go to the city. Oh, don't go there. Um, but also, uh, as they build big cities, the cities are going to be either for good or for evil. So you see the Zarahemla, right, the great city, or land of Lehi-Nephi, or wherever is going to be like it was really great or really bad. Uh, Jerusalem could be the great city. Or maybe it needs to be the New Jerusalem. It could be really wicked. So they tend to be kind of extreme in the city. But you might see something in the wilderness. And, and they use that word wilderness. It could be the desert. Um, but it's a place of trial and testing. So you'll see John the Baptist is out there. Christ goes out uh, before he starts his ministry in the wilderness. 
<coughs> the Israelites are sent out to the wilderness. The Lehites and Nephites go out into the wilderness. And then once you start seeing these things, try to say, hey, is there another story that takes place in the same place? So Lehi, Nephi, they're out in the wilderness. Is there another story that takes place with a family that is taking out of a city or a group of people, the Lord's people, and to save them, they go out into the wilderness, they cross the water, and they're given a promised land. Nephi, mm-hmm, good. Exodus, mm-hmm, Moses, mm-hmm. See how you're getting it? Um, the early saints with Brigham Young, yep, see? So these stories will repeat. So sometimes the setting is important. So think about it and then think, where else did this happen? It doesn't, not every single time they mention that is something important, but it often is. So see if you can take a step back from the setting and take a thing. The next one is theme or just kind of allegory. So we're looking to take everything we learned from the first part, right? And see if we can see some new patterns. So the scriptures often use these patterns to teach us something from one story is the next. So how is this? So again, like we said, with the promised land, um, you, you could see this, uh, this story and you'll see it repeating. So you see there's a theme going on. How about, a, if, let me throw one at you and see if you can think of any of these. A young woman who wants to have a child but cannot have one. After suffering, she is blessed with a miracle baby. And often that miracle baby becomes kind of a hero or a prophet, somebody special. Did you think of anybody? How about Sarah? Rachel, Elizabeth, Hannah, and even to some point, Mary. Yeah, so you'll see these stories um, of someone who could not have a child and then has a miracle baby, right? So we should start to see those patterns. Let's try another. Can you think of a story of a younger brother who suffers at the hands of his older siblings? Eventually, with the help of God and through some surprising events, he turns out uh, it turns out that, that he is the way that the entire family is saved. Did you think of Joseph of Egypt? What about Nephi? How about Jacob, the one I was just mentioning, Jacob and Esau? How about even a little bit about Jesus? Yeah, see, you're getting it. You're getting it. So these themes are going to tell us there's a theme. Um, I like to think of this, we're really used to it in movies when you hear musical themes, right? So if you hear... Um, uh, it could be in like Star Wars, right? So if you hear the uh, M- Imperial March, right? Dun, 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 dun. You're like, oh, bad guys, right? <laughs> Those are the same thing with these themes. Um, if you hear dun, 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 you're like, oh, good guy, right? Good guy, Luke Skywalker's coming. And I'm sorry, I can't sing those tunes very well, but we are used to themes in music we just inherently know what they mean and we just jump right to the right conclusion. Watch for them in your scripture study. Is this a common theme? And then what happened there? And see if it's not um, something that the Lord is trying to show us over and over again. One way that the prophets cue us into these stories is using the same words or phrases. So you might see something like in the beginning or fear not, or like we said, wilderness or an element might be the same, or a phrase like the day of the Lord. Um, there might be chaotic waters, or even an element as simple as like an ark, like an ark, a box, which was a box or a, a boat or a reed basket, right? Um, and it carries God's promises. So, um, Or uh, other allegories used a lot, or like nature elements, you know, tree, 
root, stem, branch, vine, right? Those are all kind of going to sheep and goats, things. So they help us kind of tie them back. Okay, so there's kind of a few ways. All right, so we didn't get a chance to kind of go through the first Nephi story, but as you go through the story, see if you can't see that pattern in the narrative, and it helps us kind of look at the big picture and say, how do we connect to the scriptures? What's the Lord trying to show me through other symbols, allegory, narrative plot, setting, structure, names? All right, all right, keep on reading, and next time we will head off into the second right, part, which I guess we're going to hit about first Nephi chapter 7. All right, keep on reading. And don't forget to share.